0: to another episode of the waffling tailors podcast uh, we've got with us a very very special guest today uh but we'll come on to that in a moment i just want to say uh because it's not just me it's Squidge as well hello squidgy how are you do the feed line properly all oh, right sorry hello squidgy hello
1: squidgy hello squidgy hello squidgy hello squidgy hello squidgy the closest thing you'll get to extreme sports is this outside of yodeling alligators in the in new orleans this is it
0: adrenaline's pumping that's it i'm glad to hear it's great i'm glad to hear that the (laughs) adrenaline is pumping We're gonna you're gonna bring your a game today are you
1: i've i've tried to go more nerd than usual so with with my research so i've got my glasses on you know so i'm gonna go full nerd if i can
0: Fair enough. (laughs) Excellent. Well, with that being said, we're actually joined today by Sean. Um, How are you, Sean? I'm doing pretty well. How are the rest of y'all? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've been looking forward to this all week, if I'm honest. (laughs) That's good to hear. <laughs> you know getting to to talk sort of history of a little bit of like history of computers history of video gaming and stuff is something i'm super into interested in but before we do any of that what i want to do is i want to say that uh Sean joins us from the advent of computing podcast which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, my description of it, having, um, you know, been listening to it for about uh, two, three weeks now, is that it is essentially the history of computing. Um, I'm sure that Sean gets tell us a little bit more about that in a moment. But yeah, as someone like myself, I am totally, I, I'm I'm completely interested in the history of computer science, computer programming, the entire electrical uh digital computing industry it's great it's really is fantastic so um yeah if you're into all of that kind of stuff definitely check it out because it's a really good podcast those are some very kind words <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well it's it's honestly a great show i really I, I totally dig it it lights up parts of my brain that haven't really been lit up since um university so i'm oh, like yeah, oh i, I remember I this feel That one. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, um, how would you describe the the, the podcast show? If, yeah. if somebody said to you, "How do you describe the show? How do you, how would you do it?"
2: So, usually, I explain it as it's a research oriented podcast about the story of computing, and the big thing that I try to focus on is there's there's some stories everyone knows. Everyone knows like a little bit about Apple, a little bit about Microsoft, a little bit about the internet. So, I try to kind of shy away from those a little bit, or when I do. Focus on like kind of the mythology and the legends that people think are real that aren't, or oftentimes what I really like to focus on are really obscure things that aren't really well known because there's so much of computer history that's really, really important, but if you told someone on the street about it, they'd be like well that that's not real that that can't be real, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, we were, we were saying just off air before we hit record that, uh, because Squidge had said to me, Oh my goodness, there was a, there was a touch screen in the fifties. And I'm like, dude, you've just reminded me of all of the, the, the studying I did at university. And yeah, in the first year of university, we did a, uh, a module that crossed, uh, that went across two semesters. So it was like the first year of university, right? And we did this thing on computer graphics. And when they showed us, I can't even remember the name of it. I'm sure. You guys probably can remember the name of it, but it was essentially a radar screen with like a fiber optic pen and they could draw on the screen. And I showed a friend of mine that who wasn't, he was, he's not a programmer. He's not an IT guy. He's not, he's, he, he's like computer adjacent, you know, like you in quotes, typical end user. And he was like, this isn't real. There is no way that touchscreen existed in the fifties. This can't be real.
1: <laughs> I can, t- I've done some research. I can tell you what it is if you want. Not the, not the, the entire specs. I've, I've got, I've got the, the notes are the actual um, specs of the machine, but it's a DEC PDP-1 oh, yes. that was in 1959. Yeah. PDP-1s are cool systems for a lot of weird reasons. <laughs> it just reminds me of Captain Scarlet, you know, machines with all the dials and lights and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. First thing I saw when I was looking it up, I said, where's the
0: keyboard? Oh, yeah, you, you flick the switches to program it. That's just
1: what I, I, I just want a panel. On my, uh, on my desk right that just lights up with switches that do yeah, nothing. blinking lights yeah blinking lights and switches so people come round occasionally I can just flick one up or turn and, the dial or push a button yeah. and they'll be oh, like what's that just what? give me, me a second I
0: mean. flip
1: <laughs> yeah I can't yeah, tell you right. why, but I've just got to flick this.
0: Like you set an alarm to go off on your watch or your phone. Oh, oh,
1: hang on! Oh, up, I Can't do it. After that, we're all blow up if we don't
0: do that. Wait. So, so I have seen that somebody has made a PDP. I think it's PDP. Uh, either a PDP seven or a PDP eleven uh, kit out of a Raspberry Pi, and it has all the blinking lights and everything. But it's actually running software.
2: It's probably it's the Apple. eleven. That was a lot more popular. So, a lot of people have memories of it.
0: Yeah. So, maybe that's what you got to do, Squidge, with all of the Raspberry Pis you've got lying around your house. Build a PDP 11. Two of them. Because that's. What, one totally of them is a Pi
1: Cade arcade machine, and another one is in a NES, NES case. Yeah, I've got two of them. That's tons of them, really. Compared to you, I've okay. got okay, about 19 something. of them.
0: Yeah, maybe it's something that I should do with one of my Raspberry Pis.
1: <laughs> Don't give me that. You've got more than me.
0: Oh dear. What we'll try and do is we'll try and get a uh, for the for the show notes, we'll try and get an image of the PDP eleven as a Raspberry Pi running because it just Those kids it's wonderful. Really cool. yeah.
2: Innovation has gotten so good in the last twenty or so years. Just put anything on anything.
0: That's it. That's it. I, I, I've been looking into I wanna try and get one of these uh, uh Mr. You know the Mr. <laughs> boards. Oh yeah, the
2: FPGA boards.
0: Yeah, yeah. I so want to get one. They're they're a little bit more expensive than, say, you know, a Raspberry Pi or whatever, but there's... I mean, there is a limit to what they can do, but at the moment, Mm -hmm. it's practically limitless.
2: Yeah, FPGAs are really cool technology. When I was in university, we... I took an electrical engineering course, which I had no business being in. <laughs> I have a degree in theoretical, like astrophysics stuff. I-, I was just taking EE because it seemed really cool. It's like, ooh, I don't know how this works. <laughs> and we worked with FPGAs, and those were so cool. I don't understand it. It does really neat stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So the, the sort of the main difference, um, as like a, an emulator running on a computer is you have a bunch of components inside your computer that are general purpose components and you have to write software that mm-hmm. pretends to be the hardware that runs the software, if that makes sense. So it's like a PlayStation emulator is broken up into chunks of bits of code that pretend to be the different parts of the PlayStation, the different DSP chips, the reality engine. No, that was the N64, uh, but you know, and then the CD drive and the memory card drive uh, reader and the, the controller ports and all of the different ports on the back, you have to have different, you have to write individual pieces of software that pretend to be those whilst running on top of a s- sort of standard generic CPU. And then the game runs on top of that. Whereas the FPGAs, the field, excuse me, field programmable gate Vita arrays. Array. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. You're able to actually reprogram them. So then there isn't really an operating system. When it switches itself on, if you load the PlayStation um, core onto it, they're called cores rather than emulators. If you load the PlayStation core onto it, the device believes that it is a PlayStation.
2: Yeah, it's amazing
0: technology. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And And it's a case of... Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, the best way I've heard described is it's software-defined hardware, which is wild to me that we can do that. Much smarter people than myself have developed that kind of stuff.
0: Definitely. It's like, imagine you could just reboot your PC and in the process of rebooting it, it just decides it's got a different CPU or it decides it has more RAM. That's literally it. That is literally how it works. It's complete magic. (laughs)
2: It's the coolest stuff.
0: It really is. Absolute wizardry. But yeah, but that's why um, FPGA-based emulators, like everything that um, Analog put out there, are so expensive. Is because it's not it, because of the the software and the, the everything that's involved in building it. But um, what you will actually find is that most of the um, cloud computing providers—Amazon, um, Microsoft's uh, Azure Service, Google Compute Engine um Linode and things like that they're more or less all fpga systems so they have huge data centers with millions of these F- fpga's and they may only be the size of a raspberry pi or they you know they might No be a I lot thought bigger. they
2: were all virtualized based I didn't know they were hardware
0: yeah yeah so it's it's it well i i know from um microsoft's azure um mm-hmm. system it's fpga's which have virtualization on top of them
2: oh weird yeah yeah <laughs> that's too many
0: layers. It really is. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the, the computer program is listening to this. Yeah, Joe, um, we'll be going yeah, crazy Joe. saying you've got it all wrong. Jamie, you're talking nonsense, <laughs> but I'm more or less covering kind of how it works.
2: <laughs> There's some magic. It, it's hardware people. They do something. Don't think about
1: yeah. it. It's,
0: it's a rough yeah, outline, right. that's what it
1: is. It's rough outline. Yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah. That's it. But yeah, like I say, it's imagine that's it, right? Imagine every time you locked your house, you go out the front door, you lock the door, then you unlock it, you come in, it's a completely different house. That's probably a better metaphor, I think.
2: I'd pay for that. That'd be pretty handy.
1: <laughs> Either <laughs> that or you're that drunk it, and you right. try to walk into someone oh, else's
0: yeah. house using your key.
1: <laughs> this <laughs> is right. I don't remember that still being there. Who are you? I'll leave.
0: (laughs) That's exactly it. My goodness. Wow. So one of the things that we do on the pod is, because we're talking about video games, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we talk about is um, what we've recently been playing. Now, I know that um, from some of the correspondence that you and I had just before we started, uh, when we first sort of got connected, um, there was talk of i don't i think you said i don't really get to play video that many video games these days but yeah. um i was wondering is there anything you've been playing i mean it doesn't have to be within the last two weeks three weeks it could be like within the last year or something that's really sort of there, stuck out and you've gone this is really cool and i want there is what.
2: one i've been trying to play so i've been working from home so i'm just in my little office 24 <laughs> 7 now so as soon as i clock out i'm like freedom get me outside I don't, <laughs> i'm not failing <laughs> yeah but one game that i have been trying to put some time into is pathologic which if you guys haven't played that it's bizarre and really really good it so i'm i have this curse where i'm very bad at video games <laughs> but i really like video games so i'll i'll get like halfway through a video game and it's like there's no way i can complete this I'm <laughs> stuck. I've enjoyed this very much. And I'll put it back on the shelf. Um, but Pathologic is this survival horror game, kind of. Um, it's set in, it's from, I think, 2013. And it's set in a an, an n- nondescript, unspecified Eastern European town that has a mysterious virus that's sweeping through. Um, and you play Either like a doctor, you can be a normal doctor, a traditional medicine doctor, or like a mage kind of class. And you go around and you try to figure out what's going on and work up a cure and whatnot. Um, but this the whole survival horror element is there's you can get tired. So there's like an exhaustion meter you have to eat. So there's a food meter and there's a health meter. And none of those replenish on their own. And resources get more and more scarce as the outlook gets more and more grim. So you get into these really weird situations where on like the third day of the game, you're digging through trash to try to find stale bread. And you have to be like, well, is this bread so old it will damage my HP and not give me enough food? <laughs> and then it it's just really great. Everything's on a time limit. So it's there's no jump scares in it. There's like maybe one or two, but most of the survival horror is the, how am I going to make it to the next stage of the
1: game and not die from hunger? Sort of like a slow burn. That's where the horror comes from. Yeah. What, what am I going to do after this? How? Am I yeah, gonna and do then yeah. it's just really, really
2: well put together. The graphics, horrible. Gameplay, <laughs> very fun. <laughs> well,
1: and it's not all have... about graphics, is it? I know.
2: So... No, it's about the fun. There's... The other awesome thing that I really like is not all of the quests are, there's no quest markers, so you kind of have to pay attention really well. And not all of the quests are needed for progressing the storyline, but you can't tell. It doesn't like show up in a HUD and be like, this is a story quest. So you can do these quests that... Will spend a lot of your gold. Like there's one where you have to help an orphanage and you can get some food for an orphanage and help them. And you're like, okay, well, maybe this helps me investigate or something. And you end up spending most of the money you've accumulated and you have to get into some combat, which is really hard in the game. And then you get back to the orphanage and the orphans have left. It's like, oh, this was unnecessary and I have no money left, but I have all this food that could help. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's just really good. It kind of bends what you expect, which I like.
1: Mm.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool. Um so knowing that because over this you see this uh, Sean will know as well, and listeners will know from when we've done our show as well, is that um, there's a certain element of the time cast pod machine wibbly-wobbliness involved in. We record, and then we release a few, you know, maybe a few weeks later, but in this instance it's going to be a few months later, <laughs> because we're a little ahead of ourselves. But uh with that in mind, and knowing that we uh, actually recorded an episode yesterday, um so today is August 16th, Um what have you been playing, switch
1: Essentially, I've been playing some of the games that I've gone back to, so they're not exactly new releases, but I've been playing Fallout 4 on my Xbox One, but I've been playing it with a new pad I've
0: got. Oh, yes. Have you got that controller is, to hand that you can sort of show It's what? an
1: Xbox Duke pad. Oh, nice. <laughs> but that's like your Xbox button, and whenever you push it, there's a small um, screen in there, and it shows you the startup animation. Now, give me a second. I'll show you the...
0: No, here we go. We're doing it live. Oh, I love it. Except it's not live, but yeah. Live enough. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) live-ish.
1: No one will know, right? That's the size of a standard Xbox One pad. That's the size of the juice bag. (laughs) That's perfect. And and another perfect comparison. You're not going to see this. We'll put a picture in the show notes. Yep. (laughs) It's the same size as my head. (laughs) and I'm trying to play modern games with this and it's so difficult and it's so fun at the same time that's how you know it's for
0: serious gaming right is it also wireless like can you no it's it's wired okay but it's got a
1: nine foot cable with it oh (laughs) jeez and it it works natively on Windows 10 and with the Xbox One
0: that's so good (laughs) that's amazing so I just feel
1: (laughs) like I'm like ten year old with a massive pad again you know
0: So, for the people, obviously, who are listening along, what we'll do, like Squid said, we'll put a bunch of photos in the, in the show notes, but it is essentially the original Xbox Duke controller, like the controller that came out with the Xbox in the first three months of its life before they, before Microsoft had to redesign it, because not everyone has large hands, but with um, some bumpers on the shoulders added. And yeah, it's got a. Did you say it was USB
1: to mini USB or something? Yeah, USB to mini USB. The the black and white buttons, which are above the the, the ABXY a, buttons, they act as your bumper buttons as well. Mm. So I've been trying to use the bumper buttons as black and white, and whenever <laughs> I go back to a normal Xbox One controller, I'm going to struggle. Yeah, yeah. I'll be so used to this massive thing that's as big as my head, trying to play games with it. It's going to be. Absolutely awesome. I've only played Fallout 4 so far, so I'm thinking of either picking up, playing a fighting game or a wrestling game just to see how awful that's going to be.
0: I feel like it would have to be a first-person shooter. I think you've got to try a first-person shooter. with it. I haven't played a first-person shooter. Have you? That's what Fallout 4 is. Yeah, that's a first-person walk around and pick things up. I mean an actual fast Twitch first-person shooter game. I think that's what we've got to do.
1: I'll I'll try Doom Eternal. How's about that? Yeah!
0: Struggle. (laughs)
1: Really causes. struggle.
0: <laughs> that's it. Once all of this, um, so I, I tend to call e- the current situation that's happening as we record, it, either the unfortunateness or the nonsense. Now I don't call it nonsense to try and be political. It's more to take away any fear and sort of poke fun at it because I find that it's easier to deal with certain things if you are poking fun at it. So once all of this unnecessary uh, nonsense is all over, I think I'll have to head over to Squidge's house and film him playing like Doom or something with that big controller and then put it up on Twitter or something. That's
1: that's (laughs) going to be a nightmare, but fun.
0: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. It
1: was fun enough playing Fall Guys the other night with it. That was was a nightmare. It was hilarious, but a nightmare with that pad. Given that Fall Guys has only got three controls and movement, but still, it was a nightmare. (laughs)
0: Have you played this, Sean? Have you played Fall Guys? No, I'm not familiar. Oh, my goodness. It is the wackiest game I can uh, that I've ever played and it is incredibly short as well. It's, um, I, I don't know how many, um, I think I said it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Four know. To how five many, rounds. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. There are. So imagine, um, uh, the wackiest physical game show you've ever seen. So not things like the price is right. Things like, but things like where you have to run across an obstacle course, right? Yeah. Like but they the warrior have, or something. Yeah, like Ninja Warrior, but dialed up to 11 and cartoonified, right? So there's like the rollers you have to run across and walls you've got to climb up, but that, but you are playing alongside 59 other people oh and there is gosh. no way to communicate with them. And it is just literally run from this end of the field to that end of the field. And there are obstacles like gigantic peaches because why not? And big hammers that dangerous. smash you. Yeah. <laughs> well, these ones are. But yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. It's, it's brilliant. But you, I think uh, our mutual friend, Zach, described it as you play as tic-tacs. Oh, no, you, descri- you described it as you play as tic-tacs. I, answer, I right? played
1: it as you, you play as a tic-tac in different suits. So you're, you're like a, a tic-tac with arms and legs and you put on suits. So you could be running alongside of like one of them Dressed as a duck, or a unicorn, mm-hmm. or my personal favourite, a a soda can. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you, <laughs> you, you, there's there's no advantage for anyone. So you're all like so the same. Cool. You're the same height. You you mm-hmm. you go at the same speed. So everyone's got a level playing field, and every single stage that you go through, so many people get knocked out. So you've got to be the fastest there, but the obstacles are so difficult. And mm-hmm. you oh, can't communicate with funny. anyone, and when I was on the discord server with Jay and two other people, it took about ten minutes before all of us started swearing at people.
0: Yes oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get out the way you flipping It, it yeah. didn't
1: help there was they, they they were getting they they were they were drinking as well, so that that just made it even more <laughs> hilarious. Just said, "Look at this, look at this serious time, and then they got knocked off the stage. I' just yeah. laughing oh that's fantastic <laughs> there's, there's some elite skills and you just getting knocked right off the stage you <laughs> you watch this
0: that's it yeah it's definitely worth um if, you know if you have a bunch of friends who can all play it at the same time uh you can have up to four people in like a like an invited game um mm-hmm. and then you know you all jump onto discord or slack or something that you to do different. voice chat and then you can um you can sort of all be giving each other loads of uh, bantery aggravation whilst you're playing and that's loads of fun. Just heckling. That's it, right? You can heckle each other. But yeah, that's loads of fun.
1: And it's not like a full-price A full price AAA game. Mm-hmm. It's quite mm-hmm. cheap, considering. That's good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, n- yeah. No one's got names, you've just got numbers. So you can't really gun for anyone in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah. So is 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 that all you've been playing scridge is there anything else? That's no? it's okay. just
1: struggling with that pad. I've I've been I've been at war with the pad trying to get it to do what I tell it to do.
0: So Dude, so. you've got to play Super Mario Brothers on the NES emulator with it. That's what you've got to do. <laughs> it's only like two buttons. That's easy. Yeah, right. The only problem pad is as the button- big as my head. Yeah, yeah the, the buttons will be in the center of the controller. So, yeah, you got to do that. You
2: can just use your index finger.
1: Yeah. Just put the pad on the desk and use my hand on the left control stick, left and right, and then just bash the buttons. Kind of like when I used to play with the Advantage control stick, the original NES.
0: Mm.
1: I was really small, so the buttons were as big as my hand, so I'd smash them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ah, jeez. But yeah, so is is that? If you've been playing anything else? Okay. Okay. Um, So uh, for me, it's been um, Fall Guys um, and. A little bit of Resident Evil Revelations 2, because I'm really enjoying the raid mode on that. You just sort of pick it up and put it down, which is really quite cool. Each level lasts about maybe three or four minutes. Oh, just turned off my light. Give me a second, folks.
2: That lack of light will really show up on the recording.
0: Yes, yes, it really will. For everyone really who's really listening in, yeah. I'm sitting in the darkness. I'm not really. Um, but yeah, so... He is... Really- um, Rev- yeah, <laughs> raid mode of Revs Two, and um, a little bit of uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney on the Nintendo Switch because I love that game. When that, I love the the original series when they came out on the Nintendo DS, so sort of revisiting that is a, a lot of fun. The, the other thing that we do, I don't know whether you'd be uh, uh, interested in doing this, Sean, is we do a section called The Thunderplane Games. Okay? Right? So, The Thunder Plane Games is... Like <laughs> it's a... <laughs> It's a ripoff of something that I'm not sure that you'll 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 know that much about. But uh on the on BBC radio we have this uh show that comes on called Desert Island Desks and the the the, mm-hmm. uh, the concept for that is you're about to be marooned on a desert island, which five albums and two books would you take with you? Now ours is we're gonna take you to the Thunder Plains, which is for Final Fantasy X. We're gonna leave you there for a little while. You will be marooned, but you'll have all the supplies you need, right? You're going to be there for a short amount of time. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might only be a day or an afternoon. It could be a couple of months. We don't know. Um, but when you get there, we're going to leave all of the computer systems that you would need to play the games that you want to take with you. So you can take three to five games, or just two, or a whole bunch. You can have internet-connected games, and we will give you access to the internet to do that. But uh, the rule is you can't use it to ask for help because help is coming. It's just going to be like little gotta be patient yeah. that's it oh, yeah. so the yeah so the main concept is which games would you take and and they can be any format any console any machine uh, throughout the history of video games being a thing all the way back to you know the 60s or whatever so and, and we'll provide all of the equipment for you and set it all up so what would you take
2: it would definitely have to be skyrim <laughs> <laughs> that's the one game that i've put like almost a thousand hours into and i can still play and be like this is fantastic (laughs) i feel like that would be a very easy time killer in a void of nothingness
0: (laughs) okay that's fair enough i mean yeah i i i know a lot of people who are in a similar boat where they're like i've I've played it for 100, 200 hours and I'm yeah. only just getting started. I'm like... It'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. And they say it to me, really you've got will. to play this game. And I'm like, no, no. If it takes 100 hours to, st- to start going, I'm fine, thank you. I'll go well, like, do something
2: that's, else. <laughs> that's the best thing. You can beat the quest in like five, six hours. It's not a long game, but there's just so much other stuff to do. <laughs> and once you start loading mods on it, you can... Oh, uh, there's so many good mods. There's the best one, pro tip. If you ever play Skyrim, you have to play with the bigger trees mod. It just takes all the trees and it makes them taller.
1: Okay. So good. (laughs) So it turns from Skyrim to Alice in Wonderland.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic because you're like, oh, this isn't just a dinky forest. This is a huge forest. It's just so stupid, but I love it.
0: Excellent. I like that. I like that.
2: (laughs) Uh, Can I pick another one? I'd probably go, yeah, yeah.
0: probably
2: one of the Persona games because those are like hundreds of hours long. Absolutely. Um, And I enjoy them a lot. Yeah, I'm a big
0: fan of Persona 4.
2: um, I'm about halfway through Persona 4 right now. (laughs) It's, I really like it. Just the mix of kind of basic combat that's easy enough to figure out, but changes enough to be engaging and basically... Uh, a high school murder mystery simulator <laughs>
0: that's it yeah you can tell Scrooge hasn't played the game from the face that he just pulled obviously he, just, he just looked really great. confused <laughs> that is quite literally what it's the it's very game is. straight
1: yeah it's very straightforward I mm. would get it on Steam but there's an anti-cheat system on it that I'm not a big fan of so mm. get it on PS2 yeah right do
2: what I've done I've got it on the PS2 yeah discs are cheap yeah. Or you can just
0: get it through dubious means. <laughs> by that he means by reused, right?
1: <laughs> just because I've got green hair does not mean I'm a dubious evil villain. I mean, I am, <laughs> but I don't like to advertise it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah. Persona is one of those games. I think Persona Four, when I last checked on how long to beat, which is my sort of yardstick for how mm. much content I'm going to get for my money, uh, someone had said. <laughs> yeah someone has said 127 hours for the main story so hangs on
1: hangs on you you'll sit there and play a persona 4 for 127 hours but you will give skyrim a go yes it's as big <laughs> as you want it to be literally that's the thing with skyrim if you don't want there, to explore there's no high school murder mystery in skyrim
2: that's exactly. dragons I, that is close that's very simple. you could
1: put on a mod where every dragon's macho man randy savage i mean what's not to love
2: yeah i yeah, can't answer that
0: <laughs> high school murder mystery that's where i'll go with <laughs>
1: Fair
0: enough. so it's skyrim and persona is it yeah awesome okay any others or, or are you just happy with those
2: <laughs> i think that will be enough for like years
0: for me <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair enough that's fair enough um Okay, yeah, no that's cool. Um the one thing I'll say about the the bigger, longer, huge content games is a friend of mine used to always say to me back when I was at college, so 16 to 18 years old, he used to say to me you haven't you haven't completed a game until you've 100%ed it. And he very quickly stopped saying that when the Elder Scrolls games got ported over to like PS3. <laughs> he was like, yeah, no, I've I've completed it because I finished the main story. That's what I've done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't want to do that with Skyrim. No, that would
2: that would do awful things to your mental health, I think. <laughs> I'd
0: like to go outside and see the sun, but I need to finish this last quest. Yeah.
2: I have to find
1: all of these roots.
0: That's it. That's it. My goodness. End
1: up walking outside with a pad and fooling <laughs> yourself out if you pushed up you move. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, there might be some lavender over here. <laughs>
1: Looking for ingredients yeah yeah <laughs>
0: stop complaining about controller input lag <laughs> why don't these dogs talk to me what's going on <laughs> mm-hmm. just me then. then fair enough wondering where you've gotten arrested for trying to steal something from someone's pocket <laughs> yeah, it's just a sweet roll guys sorry about it <laughs> excellent one of the things that we wanted that I you know wanted to talk to uh you about sean is because we connected over uh, reddit mm-hmm. right and we spoke about um talking about maybe the the famous older title rather than not so famous older titles um, as sort of the gaming generations get younger and younger um and we wanted to talk about well I I wanted to sort of touch on some of the topics that you uh hit on the advent of computing and some of the research that you've done and talk about some of those older titles and sort of in a way compare them to some of the more contemporary ones Mm -hmm. and just see look this is where we were at this point and this is where we are now and just sort of compare them because there was something especially since there was something that you said to me whilst we were chatting about um Uh, I believe it's a title we'll come back to it later but a title called Maze War which came out in 1973 which is just amazing like we'll come back to it later but yeah
2: (laughs) all the games that end in the word war from that period seem to be relatively influential which is strange
0: (laughs) yep 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 we all talk about i'll give you a little uh little subtle teaser of uh we all talk about doom and wolfenstein being the grandfathers or the godfathers of first person shooters well this one must be like the great 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 grandfather or something you gotta get that (laughs) old school stuff you know it's it's the rosetta
1: stone that's what it is yeah
0: that's it the rosetta stone of first person shooters i like it
1: (laughs) (laughs) They uncovered it in a cave somewhere. Oh, let's just pl- let's just type this into the, the machines we've got and see what happens.
0: That's it. That's- well, and that's the, the thing, right?
1: The minute you push return to finish it, that doom guitar riff starts, you know. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, oh, no, what <laughs> <laughs> have
0: I done? <laughs> that's the one. I've summoned MIDI.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the one.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, That's the thing, right? We talk We talk about I'll buy a Switch game or I'll buy a PlayStation game and I just drop the disc in, drop the cartridge in, or as is more often the case now, I just hit the download button and the files will be sent to me, right? But at the time period that I'm sort of hinting at and that we're going to touch on in a minute, to transfer the game from one machine to another, you would literally take the source code and go, go type that in, like you said then, go type that in and hit go and you'll have loads of fun. Or you could... Also
2: violate U.S. government regulations to misappropriate it, but
1: there is that. Yep, yeah. <laughs> sounds good. I mean, I am an evil genius.
2: So yeah, there you sounds go. Good. Kids today have it easy,
0: but yes. <laughs> so, but but to set that uh, sort of time frame in mind, we're talking about computers that were mainframes in research centers. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you would be allowed a two to three hour period of time for your code to run on it. usually during the night. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's just, there's,
2: yeah, the whole mainframe era of anything of programming of whatever you do with those machines. So like the very tail end of the 1950s, when they start entering actual research centers into like the seventies, there's, Oh, I forget who said the quote. I think it was, It must have been Dennis Ritchie or someone who worked at Bell Labs, but there's this writer where he's talking about how when they got a new computer in the lab, it was a really big deal because... At the time, they were programmers, but they weren't allowed to go in the mainframe room because they had technicians that you walk up to a shelf or like a counter and you hand them your program. You're like, here, give this to the computer. And they're like, all right. And they pull out a calendar. They're like, well, you'll get back your results in eight hours. Go go get some lunch or something. And then they got a new mainframe that they didn't need technicians for. And they're like, we we can go into the temple, guys. We can touch the switches.
0: That's so it. In the majority of cases, those uh, mainframes would be rented from the company mm-hmm. that made them. And so, some, so in some instances, you had to pay for their engineers, their technicians to come in and run the whole thing. So it could be that your company has this mainframe, which would be a whole room full of electrical components all sort of plugged together.
2: And with cost a more than a mansion.
0: Yeah, a card reader at one end where you feed in your program. And maybe if you're lucky, perhaps a uh, a printer at the other or something. Or, some or another app- card reader that spits out cards. Exactly, right. And and just like Sean said, you would drop your cards off. Now, each card would have maybe one to two lines of code on it. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing hundreds of lines of code, you've got a stack of 100 cards, right? And you need to make sure they are fed into the computer in the correct order. But you're not allowed to do that. So you drop them off, right? And I remember m- one of my lecturers at uni saying that he was late to deliver his uh program code for his dissertation, for his PhD dissertation, right? Oh, no. And it had to be run on this machine. And so he's running through the university um grounds with a big pile of paper cards. No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes. He fell over oh. and he scattered everywhere. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. But he was already late for delivering them. So then he had to pick them all up, rush back to where he was, try and figure out an ordering system or just have them all remade and then rush back because this was the last possible like date that he could run his code, get his results and then write the paper for it. So Yeah. It really Whereas, is
2: amazing that we've gotten anywhere with computers, considering where it was back <laughs> in the day.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, one of the things that I'll do is I'll, I, I can, you know, if I'm writing some code on my machine, I push two two keys on my computer, and the code is then sent off to another computer to be built and run and deployed somewhere. And then I can go, hey, Scrantz, hey, Sean, there's the URL for it. Go check it out. Yeah, and it's done. There is. Yeah, right? He's done. He saw it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when I was still a college person, um, I had an internship at a research lab down in Silicon Valley. Um, and they had a supercomputer that I was programming on. And that's the same kind of thing where we... I think in the whole summer we were there we got one tour of the supercomputer room and it's the whole building that's just decked out in all kinds of equipment and they're like, well don't get too close to these computers, but I'll open up this cabinet for you to look at and see how cool it is. <laughs> but even even with that, something that's so expensive they don't want you to breathe on it, I could just sit at my desk in a lab and be like, Dude, 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 hey, I want to test this out and just fire off the job and it goes and does its thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have come a long way, and it's very shocking to me.
0: It really is. It really is. Like the majority of people who don't see how far we've come don't realize it. But like, um, I think it was the the late eighteen hundreds. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the late eighteen hundreds, there was this device called the Turk, and mm-hmm. it was a, a sort of a marionette type person. That you would play a game of chess against you would literally sit down at the desk, and there's a chessboard in front of you, and you would play a game of chess, and it would look like you're playing it against a robot, or what, excuse me, or what we would call these days a robot. But actually, what it was was there was someone sitting under the desk, pulling loads of levers and pulleys to make it look like it was moving around and playing the game. But but we came from that, right? So that's the tail end of the 1800s into the 19. i mean, I'm sure that. Uh, Sean could probably cover this in a little bit more detail than I can. Nineteen hundreds, and you have computers are still people. Computer is a job that you do. It's not not an appliance you mm-hmm. plug into the wall. Even pers- during like
2: sorry. the sorry, um, during the Apollo missions, they still used computers as just people with a, maybe a desktop calculator if, if you're if you're high up, but just paper and pen doing
0: all the numbers. And so you computed the answer to a problem. You had yeah, maybe a slide rule and a book full of, mm-hmm. um, sine and cosine and tangent tables and Man, stuff I like still that.
2: I have books of that yeah. on my shelf.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, up until, up until maybe the forties and fifties, a computer mm-hmm. was a person. There was no, that's why like ENIAC, and Edvac, two of the first sort of commercial, not really commercial, but the two first computers. It was the electronic computing device or the electronic devising computing device and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Just the, so you take from the fifties until 2020, that's what 80 years, something like 70 years. Mm-hmm. And just the speed at which we've grown.
2: We've just, it's really cool looking through the whole like overarching history because at every step we've people there's always someone or a group of someone's who's very, very smart who identifies the exact problem and fixes it just enough that we can keep moving forward. And it's it's amazing that we've kept that up for so long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing that I really like that's just kind of stupid and nitpicky, but I think's really cool, is that there's this like trade-off period in the fifties, going to the sixties, where computers used the, so you had like like you were saying the ENIAC or like the Harvard Mark One or the EDVAC or whatever, and then once you start getting to the sixties and they can make commercial computers, it turns into like oh I have a Univac back in the research center, and it's just cool that even the language has has to shift around it as computers just totally change.
1: And now you Brilliant. get one letter and about a string of sixteen numbers for something that you've got in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. The, a V six V6 to... cc mm-hmm. seventeen x ninety here. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you finish saying what it is, someone just says, "Oh, it's a phone." Yeah, but I was yeah, trying. Ah, to- oh, you know. don't matter.
2: <laughs> it's trying to be cool, guys. <laughs> Spent a lot of money on this. <laughs> yeah,
1: essentially.
0: <laughs> and that's it. It's just, just like. I tried, I think it was about 10 years ago, I tried to, to, to show someone. I brought up a picture of a reconstruction of, uh, of Edvac, of the Edvac. And I put it, I put up on screen a picture of an iPhone. And I said, this one is something like a hundred thousand times bigger than that one. But that one is about a million and a half times stronger, faster, just better, better than that one. <laughs> and it just blows people's minds that both the, we've miniaturized it so much and improved on it so much mm-hmm. at the same time. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy.
1: And yet people keep dropping them on the floor.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, this is <laughs> where we should all have EDVACs. If we had EDVAC, you can't drop it on the floor, can you?
1: If, if you can it anywhere, that would be very
0: impressive. <laughs> <laughs> just Power slam your computer.
1: <laughs> It'd be you'd have that. And a bed, and that would be your house, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd be really warm,
2: which would be a plus. You don't need heat. Not in the summer, it wouldn't, but... Well, (laughs) you know... (laughs)
0: Yeah, one of the things I wanted to touch on is, like, the games that people started making. Because you give someone a tool, and the first yep. thing they'll do after they finish going, yep, I can build this, I can do this, is let's do some stupid stuff. Yeah, right? Yep. <laughs> and, you know, th- this, is, this is before, like, some of these came out before, like, operating systems. Mm-hmm. I'm using bunny courts there because this is, like, before the modern operating system. It gets kind of
2: loosey-goosey up until, like, mm. the late 60s.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you bought one of these machines, it would have its own operating system on it. You wouldn't be able to change it. You wouldn't be able to alter it because it's fine-tuned for that machine. Mm-hmm. And what was what was huge about um, Unix, which is kind of what Mac OS is based on. Um, everything's based on nowadays. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what was great about Unix was they designed it in a way that was agnostic from the hardware, so it could be installed on the PDP-11. But then, when another machine came in that was completely different, they could install it on that one, and it would need a few tweaks. But then it would just work, and it was exactly the same operating um, experience across both machines. You didn't have to memorize different commands and different applications stuff to, to to fire up. It was exactly the same.
1: Kind of like an adaptive chameleon. Yeah. yeah right.
0: But that's why that's why with the early ones you had the teams of technicians that came with them because mm-hmm. every single one of them was completely different, right?
2: They're almost totally unique. Which is wild to think about because they're they do the same thing. You you put in some some cardstock and out the other end you get some math done. But how you go about that, the, the little black box, totally different.
0: Yep. But yeah, so I think I'd love to talk about some of the. So there were there were a few that you sent over, uh, Sean, as examples. Yeah. Um, that for, that I wanted place. sort of Squidge to sort of check out. Um, and did you did you have a chance to check them out, Squidge? Um, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah? <laughs> okay. Yes, I did.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about them then. Um, which one do you want to talk about? Which Which ones do you want to talk about first?
1: Well, we could I'd- just
2: start with the first one. I've yeah. got a list of three, so and I got notes on all of them. So. Okay,
0: so let's start with like like Sean said. Let's start with the first one. So the first one we have is Space War, mm. which fun little fact. So many of the first
2: mainframe video games all about space. I the the theory I've seen is that all of the programmers in this this era were just sci fi nerds, but <laughs>
0: who really knows? I mean that that would kind of fit because um, there's a there's a there's a lot of um, talk in the sort of software that I make. I, I I put myself down as software craftsman, right? And to be a software craftsman, you always have to be looking to be better at your job, and yeah. part of that is and to be better at your craft, and part of that is finding. The uh, people who are already better, you know, they have more experience, they have these uh, all of these things and asking them questions of figuring out where we've come from and how to be better at it. And um, one of the things that was pointed out to me was that a lot of the programmers, back, like programmer as a, as a term, didn't really exist until maybe the 70s or 80s. You were a mathematician or a scientist or an engineer. Mm -hmm. And you just happened to use a computer and you just happened to need to learn the language that the computer used.
2: Or you were someone like Grace Hopper, who was just always a programmer. And if anyone asks, she's like, oh, what are you? I'm a programmer. I'm the first Mm -hmm. programmer. Yep. That's it. Anyway, Space War. Yes. So, Squidge, what did you think of the first video game? Well, first video game written for a computer.
1: I was actually surprised that it was played on a radar screen. Yeah, I because I watched a video this morning and I thought I'll, I'll try and go to the source. And it was a guy who went to um, a computer history museum. Yeah, in Mountain View. And they were talking to Lyle Bickley, who is part of the DEC PDP one restoration team. Yeah, the DEC PDP one. Yeah, and he was he was showing it off, and he was showing off. Um, first of all, he was showing off. Um, these are the cards that go in. Um, it can do music and he flicked a few things and there was stereo music booming out. I said, on top of this, check this out. And he flicked a button. He looked at the screen and there was a floral pattern going on with this radar screen, which I was, I just couldn't believe that was happening. Cause I, w- when I saw it and the guy went in and it went across, I thought it was like a, an oscilloscope. Mm-hmm. Not realizing it was an actual radar screen. <laughs> Yeah, It's, it's really th- this massive tube rear dial screen, you know. So it's really similar to the screens they
2: used in the Vectrex where you have a yoke, an X and a Y um, yoke that you can adjust to do vector plotting. But yeah, I as someone who lives in California, I visit the Computer History Museum every chance I get. Um, and I've I've been in that exact room you're talking about, and it is—it's an amazing computer. <laughs> mm. The let's just kind of on a tangent. What's really neat about the DEC PDP-1 that makes it kind of a big deal in the lineage is DEC was the company that made it. Was originally they made semiconductors, they made chips, and they sold these packs where you get a bunch of um, discrete diodes and transistors and stuff put onto a pack that you plugged into something and it does a simple task it does like a single logic gate and then after a while they're like well I guess we could we're selling these to computer folk why don't we become computer folk and so they just built their own computer that sourced all their own little logic (laughs) cards so that they were pretty vertically integrated and they made pretty cheap and pretty like single person operable mainframe which was a big deal for the time. And it was also one well, of the things that made it important is is that radar screen, because not a whole lot of systems. I think Whirlwind, There's there were like two or three systems before it that had similar kind of readouts, but the PDP-1 was the first, broadly speaking, accessible computer that had something similar to a
1: screen attached to it. It was, it was no. just nuts watching it, because the guy that went there, it was sort of... I've, I, I can stick links for YouTube stuff. Like I was watching one of you. It was nuts, considering that you were, it, the the guy said, well, show it off," and then I'll put Space Wars in, and it showed you reading through, like the the line of it. And then there was him and the guy that was filming it, and he set up his tripod, and it the the controls was a wooden box with six mm-hmm. buttons, five or six buttons, and it was turn left, turn right, jet boost, hyperdrive, and shoot, and the whole movement was followed around there was like a imploding star in the middle of the screen Mm -hmm. and that would be gently dragging you towards it and you turn left and right and employ your booster to try and get around it to circle around it while shooting at the second player (laughs) it was nuts to see and i i just i just my original reaction was oh this is on an oscilloscope how does that work no it isn't (laughs) <laughs> what is that the trail it the, the light trail on it that's that's just it and then it clicked it's a radar screen mm-hmm. yeah what yeah. <laughs> the thing's fantastic
0: it what, really is.
2: so what's neat about those controllers is so space war was developed in 1962 at mit and one of the things that they figured out pretty quickly is the only input they had were the little front switches on the mainframe and that That You can't really have two people standing in front of, like, a three-foot-wide panel of Switches and be like, oh, i am got to watch out. I'm going to get (laughs) you. So (laughs) one of the programmers is like, well, this kind of sucks. And so he put together the first, like, purpose-built controller kind of for a video game, which definitely makes it a lot more playable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the other thing to remember, right? Is that we're talking about how it used a radar screen and that the primarily the reason for that is because they had them lying around because Mm -hmm. the history of computer stuff, it's, it's so tightly knit with um, things like the military because who else is going to pay for all this research, right? And if it can somehow make that, because Imagine, right? So Squidge and I are in the UK where it's not really that big of a country, but if you've got someone in say Florida who needs to send a message to the president, right? Traditionally in Washington DC, right? You've got to send that message across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. That may be a telegram, that may be a phone call, but if you can somehow can interconnect a bunch of computers with a network of cables, you can send those messages a lot faster, dude. Mm-hmm. I and think you need
1: to go on Dragon's Den. That is an awesome idea.
0: <laughs> that's it. That's what <laughs> I, I need to pitch
1: a network before. <laughs> yeah, you, you really need to pitch it. I think it could take off.
0: If I just throw in a few other buzzwords like microservices and Bitcoin, I'll make mm-hmm. loads of money, right? <laughs> Kubernetes cluster, chuck that one in as well. That'll yeah, work. Get that VC funding. That's all I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, yeah, Space War, that's essentially the first multiplayer game, I guess.
2: Yeah, so it's oftentimes just called the first video game, which is broadly speaking accurate. There's the distinction that I've seen in or that i read about in the more academic sources is that Space War is the first game on a computer that has a win condition. Because in Space War, you play Traditionally, in in the usual games, um, you play best of three. So you have three lives. Whoever loses all their lives first loses the game. So you can actually win Space War, where prior they had stuff like Tic-Tac-Toe, which you can win, but it's it's just a game you can play on a piece of paper. It's not special. Or they had other games that were games that were more like it just shows a bouncing ball and you can watch the bouncing ball and you can flip a switch and it changes how it bounces. It's a game. (laughs) But space war was the first time that you have like the full, uh, not codified so much yet, but the full package where you have a game that you can win that has controls and it's on a computer. And it it's, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Squidge, but it's
1: something that is still kind of playable today. I mean a video game's a video game, it doesn't matter how old yeah. it is. <laughs> you know, it's if if it if you've got an interest in it or if like me, if you've got an interest in, you know, where technology came from and just mm-hmm. to see it and then, you know, you're watching something like that and then you hear, Oh yeah, this was um the idea for this was made in three months and this is nineteen fifty nine tech, at which point I paused the video and went What? <laughs> <Aha>. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nineteen fifteen.
0: what <laughs> <laughs> not just that right here's here, let me throw another spanner into the works right so let's say you make a video game these days what you do is you use an off-the-shelf engine which communicates with the hardware for you and communicates with the controllers and does all of the web stuff for you and draws everything on screen and you can use off-the-shelf um graphics that are available for free there are websites and whole artists who are just like i've created a whole bunch of 3d models and loads of graphics use them for free i don't care right you can use off-the-shelf music you can use off-the-shelf rules there are there there are people who just make and remake the same game over and over again right and that takes (coughs) three years
1: sorry (laughs) really bad cough there sorry that's a
0: terrible cough i should go see the doctor yeah but that kind of thing can take two or three years to make, and you're using essentially off-the-shelf components. 1959, there are no off-the-shelf components. So there is rules. no game engine. You are writing the game from scratch. You have no code whatsoever, and you are starting from nothing.
2: The best part is they wrote it in machine code, so they're just writing numbers. Just put enough numbers together, you get Space War. Yep. <laughs> What's? It's just. It's an amazing testament to how. How smart those dudes were. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because that's something, if I had to sit down at a terminal and a big stack of like this number does this, I don't think I could do that.
1: (laughs) It's one of those, if you got a hundred chimpanzees in front of a hundred computer lights for code with a hundred punch cards, eventually they'll come up with something that works. Um, One day. One day, yeah. (laughs) Maybe Space Wars, I don't know. Maybe just a picture of a banana. That's what I reckon. (laughs) A rotating picture of a banana. That's That's close enough. Yeah, it'll yeah. day.
2: <laughs> so one of the other things that I think is really neat about Space War is the crew that made it in MIT, they weren't like, oh, we're gonna make this new thing called a video game. They the main impetus behind it was they had open houses at the computer science department. And they had demos like tic-tac-toe and bouncing balls and stuff. And they're like, well, we we have this, we have access to a computer now that just one of us can use. And it has the screen. So we should kind of show that, Hey, we didn't waste all our money on this new computer for nothing. Yeah. And over time it turned from a demo into something that they could get od- the audience at open houses to come over and press some buttons and be like, look, I am using a computer. And eventually that turned into not, not just the video game space war, but at the time it was one of the most complicated programs that ran on that computer. <laughs> so it kind of became like a smoke test. For systems it's it's really cool and then the spread was one of the big things so how the how the deck pdp reads or pdp1 reads in data is on paper tape so it's like this coil of tape of paper that has holes punched in it and you put it in the front of the machine hit a button and it just jams it through a reader really fast And so once Space War was finished, people at the open house were like, well, this is cool. I'd love to take this to my research lab or my college. And so they started handing out copies of it just on stacks of paper tape. And then eventually news got back to DEC, the company that made the PDP-1. And they're like, well, that's really cool. And it uses like every function on the computer. So they got a copy and they used that for testing and they shipped new PDP-1s with copies of Space War. That way, when you got it set up, it you know you don't have any programs yet. You can't just like grab Microsoft Office and
1: install it. You just jam in Space War and You're like, hey, look, we, we plugged it in right now. Now we can play some <laughs> video games. So it was the very first release title for that particular computer. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy this computer, get Space Wars with it. Yeah. <laughs> that on the front of the massive not box but crate it came in, mm-hmm. you know, a little sticker. The oh, warehouse. Space. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Arrive at your house with like 17 forklift Plays trucks. Five great yeah. games.
0: <laughs> An
1: amazing five great games.
0: And all of them are Space war. war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, so Space War is, I, I was playing it earlier on today at my computer, and because uh, there's a, there's like a JavaScript version of it, you can go to this website mm-hmm. and it will just play it's, in your browser.
2: It's a JavaScript emulator for a PDP 1. It's, yep. Speak, going back to emulators being cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've got, when I loaded the website, I had a PDP, uh, PDP 1 running in my computer. My computer was running a web browser. Sorry, my computer's running an operating system, which is running a web browser, which has a mini operating system inside it, which is what the JavaScript runtime is, which is running a PDP-11, which is running Spacewall.
1: A bag of holding within a bag of holding within a bag of holding within a it's bag of holding. really like an onion, like, right? <laughs> yep. Just yep. with more dials and switches. that's, yeah, that's it. Just some wires going in. That's, That's a really weird sounding onion. That's
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to put that in your uh,
1: in your lunch. It's a specialist anyway. onion. You have to plug <laughs> into the wall. But I was I was,
0: <laughs> I was playing it and and it allows you to play as both players on the same machine. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, wait, no. Oh, no. Sticky keys is getting in the way. No. And I can't actually play it because Windows is stopping me from doing it because oh, it no. thinks that the keys on my keyboard are stuck down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just too complicated for modern computers. It's too high That's tech. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. What we need is the Space War test for every computer that you mm-hmm. get, right? Open it up. Can you play Space War? How long? That should be it a new test, how long can you go from I have a computer in a box to I am playing Space War? Right? That should be the new benchmark, not the the amount of flops, not the score on Geekbench. How many Space Wars it has.
1: (laughs) How many Space Wars emulators can you run at the same time?
0: That's it. And there control
1: both player one and player two from one set of controls on your keyboard <laughs> and see how long before your PC goes, ah uh,
0: If it's running Windows, not very long.
1: Yeah, <laughs> nice. about three
0: seconds, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So uh, what about Colossal Cave then? Let's talk about that.
1: I, I, I love the humor in this. I've got a couple of examples of the humor in it. Colossal Cave uh. is one of
2: it's still one of my favorite video games.
1: <laughs> it's just
2: it's fantastic. I I think so. What do you think of
1: the first adventure game? Um, considering it was a very simple premise, but you had to walk through essentially quite a lengthy maze. Remember mm-hmm. where you were. Um do little puzzles like be quiet so you don't scare a bird that you have to grab. You know, you're retrieving treasure. That was the game where the, the code XYZZY came into it as a teleporting thing. But it also had the thing where it was a maximum of two word inputs. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that you could have a pirate stealing your treasure so you had to chase him, go onto his ship, steal your treasure back on top of going into rooms where, you know, they're just distractions, but you've got other things implemented, like you've got a lamp and you've got to go through a maze, but the lamp has got a set amount of battery life. So you've got to find a vending machine to buy more lamp, more batteries for the lamp, buy more lamp, you know, buy more batteries for the lamp on top of things chasing you. And I've I've got two quotes, right? Because you can technically die in it, but you get continues. Right. And the quote that I found on Wikipedia that made me laugh. The, the input is go west. And it said, you fell, you fell into a pit and broke every bone in your body. Now you've really done it. I'm out of orange smoke. You don't expect me to do a decent reincarnation without orange smoke, do you? If you type in yes, the game says, okay, if you're so smart, do it yourself. I'm leaving. (laughs) But it also has a section where you can bump into a dragon. And this is the input, kill dragon. And the game asks you, with what? Your bare hands? If you say yes, it goes, the dragon is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just, that, that is awesome level humour. I love that. Oh dear.
0: it's That's amazing.
2: It's a fantastic <laughs> game. So the overall, the premise of Colossal Cave Adventure, or it's usually not usually oftentimes it's just shortened to adventure is that like you're saying you're spelunking for treasure and eventually you find all the treasures you bring them back up and you put them down in your little cabin and you win um and then i think i think the trigger is if if you win with maximum points you get another like extended quest that you can do um but so here's what's cool about it Space War, or not Space War. We already talked about Space War. (laughs) Let's talk about space. Um, So Adventure is a great example of writing a program under constraints. Hmm. So the dude who wrote it, Will Crowther, he worked at BBN, which is this in the States this quasi-government research lab. And after hours, he had a terminal at home so that he could log in and do stuff from home on occasion, but it's not like a screen terminal like you'd want to use. It's a teletype, which for those not familiar, a teletype is a very fancy electric typewriter that can connect over a phone line to something else. So in this case, a computer and it prints everything on paper, one line at a time, which that's a pretty big constraint. Um, but Crowther wanted to write a fun program to get his kids interested in computers. And he was like, well, I'll I'll do some, something you can play around with, maybe an adventure. And so the reason it's a cave is Crowther and his family love to go spelunking. So it's like, this is relatable. And he figured out that the best way to do spelunking over a teletype would be to have just one line at a time, all textual inputs. And from there, Kind of evolved and built into
0: an actual game that's cool and and it makes sense if you've got that that remote connection y- you can only send so much data over the wire, yeah and exactly. receive only so much data right and using the teletype is I think a genius move um. Because, yeah, like you said, it is is—it is literally a typewriter that is connected to a computer or another typewriter, mm-hmm. right? If you've ever seen um, older movies where they're all standing around a machine going, and they tear a piece of paper off and go, it says here that Biff said that you did it, mm-hmm. that's a teletype, right? That's someone else at a remote location that sent in some data. But it took the time for the person to type it in and hit send, and then type the next line, and then hit send. And then for it to go all the way across the country, and then for the computer to then actually, or rather the teletype then to actually print it off. And it's the teletypes where we get, it's been this big problem of uh, until maybe the last two or three years with line endings in text mm-hmm. files. And so if you open up a, a text file in your computer, um, sometimes you might get, this uses CL uh, CRLF do you want to change it to um lfcr and you're like I, I don't know what that means but it's the invisible characters that are stored in the file that tell the computer when to end the line and go back to the the next line and the two characters are uh, carriage return which is lit- these are literally from teletype which means yeah you, you, you that's it you know you hit you get the ding on the typewriter you hit the carriage and it goes all the way back to the beginning and line feed which is move it up a line so you can write on the next line and if you get them the wrong way around or if you just do one and not the other if you just do a carriage so that's let's imagine you're sitting in front of a uh, in front of a typewriter right you type away and you do carriage return it takes the carriage all the way back to the beginning you don't do line feed you're typing over the same letters again if you just do line feed and not carriage return all you've done is you've gone to the next line where you were originally, not at the beginning of the line. Then you got to go all the way back to the beginning of the line. And different operating systems did it differently for, for, for the longest time, which meant that if you got a file from a Unix system, from a Mac OS system, from a Linux system, and opened it on Windows, it wouldn't work properly. And if you opened a Windows file on Mac OS or Unix or Linux, it wouldn't work properly because the line endings were different.
2: Because at some point, you had to
1: do that way on a typewriter. So... Just got to keep it going. So what we're saying is that we blame typewriters for that problem. Absolutely.
2: Typewriters are the bane of
1: computers. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's not internet connection. It's not internet speed. It's not the 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 resolution of your PC. It's bloody typewriters. The whole Mm, time. mm, I blame (laughs) Agatha Christie.
0: Intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by G.H. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Gay. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.